0: Would you pray with me? Lord, would you take these words and speak through them? Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and make them one with yours. Lord, teach us to live lives that are rich towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, again, good morning and welcome. I am not... The Pastor of the church here my name is patrick i 'm the Director of Operations uh, for the Church um, so just a disclaimer if uh, you hate everything you hear this morning, come back another time for for the real guy um, but let 's uh, let 's look together at these scriptures that we 've heard this morning and think uh, a little more together about them so there 's a famous Greek myth about a man named Midas. Many of you have probably heard this famous story Midas was granted a wish by the god Dionysus for anything he desired. And so he asked that everything he touched would turn to gold. And it worked. He touched twigs and rocks and flowers. All these useless and unimportant things now became valuable and exchangeable. Yet when Midas sat down to eat and realized he could not consume food without it turning to gold, he began to regret his choice. And in one retelling, his daughter runs to him for an embrace. And as soon as they hug, his daughter, who he loved, now was a golden statue. Realizing the folly of his choice, Midas begged for a reversal of this gift. He washed in the river, and his daughter was returned to him alive. And his nightmare was ended. Midas thought if he could have an endless supply of wealth, he could be happy. He thought, if I could just get the money I need, everything else will work out. I bet a lot of people had that thought this week as they were buying their Mega Millions, one billion lotto ticket. If I could just get that money, everything else would sort itself out. But the result for Midas was utter despair, loneliness, and isolation. He traded real relationship with his daughter for a promise of material gain. And he realized quickly the truth of what Jesus told his followers, carried down to us today through St. Luke's Gospel Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus rightly uses the language of battle or war here be on guard. This is not a friendly, helpful suggestion like make sure you drink enough water. It's more like a parent seeing their child about to touch a hot stove and yelling no, grabbing them and keeping them from that danger. God said to the subject of our parable today, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. Life or death, these are the stakes presented by today's gospel reading." And it's not the only time we see rich people confronted with death and judgment in Scripture. There's Ananias and Sapphira who withheld money from the community in Acts. There's the rich man and Lazarus where the end of the story finds the rich man in torment, begging to warn his brothers of the terrible suffering he's experiencing. Our reading from Colossians today implores us to put greed to death because it is idolatry. And there's one of my favorite descriptive images in James chapter 5, which begins, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. It's a very metal image. Kids, if you want to draw something from the sermon today, show me after church what flesh-eating riches looks like. (laughs) I think we are quick to underestimate or write off the intense warnings the Bible has against the accumulation of wealth. And I hope we can wrestle together today with this urgent, serious topic of wealth and money and think about how we, as individuals and as Church of the Cross, can live lives that are rich toward God. So why is it that we find these words, these ideas of intense condemnation, so difficult? I would propose that our economic arrangements in the United States of America in 2022 actually make it harder for us to follow Jesus, especially in these matters of money and wealth. We live in an economic system known as capitalism, which is distinguished by the fact that the means of production, the factories, the coffee makers, the data servers, generally belong to a small group of private individuals. They decide how and what products to make, how much to charge for them, what to pay their employees, and who gets to keep the profit. And this system relies on the very vice that Jesus tells us to guard against, greed. Our economy only really works if you get more out of it than what you put into it. Our retirement plans, our houses, everything we invest money in, we are planning on getting back more than we give, generating a return. And in doing so, many things end up happening, things that I think keep us as human beings from being on guard against greed. For one thing, everything is capable of being quantified, monetized, and capitalized. We can buy a home as a place to live, as a place to invite our friends and family over, but we can also invest in real estate as a means of growing wealth. We can get an education that fulfills us and equips us for a life of meaningful labor. We can also choose a financially lucrative career path and base our education on that goal. These things that in and of themselves are good and meaningful are converted into gold, much like Midas's touch. And I believe in the end, we also do what Midas did. We trade in real human relationships for the promise of wealth and money. Listen to how today's gospel reading begins. A follower of Jesus comes to him and says, Jesus, divide my inheritance with my brother. We don't have context beyond this one statement, so we don't know if this person was trying to withhold money from his brother or if his brother was wrongfully trying to withhold money from him. What we do know is that this family unit, this relationship that was once marked by intimacy and connection, was now being viewed through the lens of money. The human relationship had been transactionalized and commodified. Jesus replied to this request that his mission was not to participate in this division by means of money. But oftentimes our economy does just that. Karl Marx wrote that in capitalist economies, people place in a thing, money, the faith which they do not place in each other. German theologian Eberhard Arnold puts it this way, God gives us the richest relationships of love between people, from spirit to spirit, heart to heart, the lead to a growing, organic, constructive fellowship. But there is a devilish means that seeks to rob all relationships of heart and spirit, of God, this means is money. Money reduces human relationships to a materialistic association until the only value left is money itself." End quote. This is what Jesus is warning us about. We are in danger of losing the rich relationships of true community when we place all our trust and faith in this world's idol, the idol of Mammon. And where it will lead us is complete loneliness and isolation. If you listen closely to both the Gospel reading and the reading from Ecclesiastes, you'll remember hearing a lot of first-person pronouns, right? The teacher in Ecclesiastes repeats the refrain, I said to myself, I gathered for myself, I considered, I, I, I. And likewise the rich man in Luke's parable, instead of perhaps consulting his family or the community around him about the sudden bumper crop of wealth, speaks only to himself. In a painful moment, we see the young man standing alone, surveying the fields, with no one around to share the joy. And he says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We must wonder, though, was the road to storing up his grain in his barns for his own enjoyment, was that path strewn with the sacrifice relationships of former friends and loved ones? I wonder, did he give up his love for everyone he knew in pursuit of this great moment of success, and he reaches this pinnacle to find himself utterly and totally alone? Such is the work of money in our lives if we are not rich in the way God desires. And this is the formation project of our economy. It is intent on forming us into its image, into the ideal types of people for the system to function. Capitalism works best when we are all isolated and atomized into prolific producers on the one hand and voracious consumers on the other. So when we are children, we're relying on our small nuclear family to provide for us and then we prove ourselves to be strong, independent, wage-earning members of society. We're hired to jobs individually and labeled with our own unique monetary value called a salary. When we get sick or have kids, we are sent off to figure out our own private healthcare, often without much paid leave or support. When we get old, we are made to rely primarily on whatever retirement funds we were able to store up for ourselves on Earth, or once again to rely on that small nuclear family around us. All of these policies further reinforce the idea that we are the masters of our own fate, the commanders of our own ships. Every one of us is a little island, entire of itself. So if that's the kind of world we live in, it is that much more imperative for us to heed Jesus's clear warnings. Be on guard. Because living in a way that prioritizes people over profits relationships over revenue, and community over money will feel like we're always in conflict with the good life that capitalism presents us with. It will feel, in fact, like death. So we've been talking a lot here at Church of the Cross about baptism. If you notice on your way in, there's a font with water for us to remember our baptism. We've talked a lot about the early practices and the meaning and symbolism of baptism. And one of the main ideas and symbols uh, is that baptism is a kind of death. If you'll remember, many of the baptistries are in mausoleums and the cross-shaped font. You actually were to walk into the font and die in the water and walk out into new life through the cross. So our reading from Colossians today is like many New Testament epistles, an extended meditation on the meaning of baptism. Prior to this in chapter 2, Paul said, When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And our reading today, Paul bluntly states, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Baptism into the people of God entails dying to the life of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three things we renounce when we take the baptismal vows. And we're being raised to what Colossians tells us today is the new self, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. So if we have died to the world and its ways, what does the new life look like, especially in regards to money and community? What does a life that is rich toward God, as Jesus describes it, look like? When our political economy instructs us to grasp and to hoard and to grow our wealth, what is the countering call from the cross of our Lord and Savior? In response to a narrative of scarcity, God opens the floodgates of grace with an unmatched abundance. God gives to us everything we need without us needing to earn it. We don't need to labor for it, save up for it, invest wisely, inherit enough, make the right moves, get the right degree. None of that matters. It is free, unmerited grace flowing from the cross of Jesus. And if in our baptism we are being renewed into that image, then we are called to manifest his grace and his love and his abundance in the way we interact with each other. Paul tells us in Colossians today to clothe ourselves. This is another baptismal image. In baptism, they would put on baptismal robes. And he's saying, just like you wore those robes at your baptism, clothe yourselves with love for each other, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with meekness. In short, to orient ourselves toward each other, living as resurrected, spirit-filled people who care for each other, who provide for each other, both with spiritual encouragement and material mutual aid. In our psalm today and in our gospel, the rich are confronted with death, and it is implied that their stockpile of possessions will be distributed to others when they die. So we, since we have already died in baptism, wouldn't it make sense in the Bible to see baptized Christians living like they had already died? Exactly what shows up in Acts 4. This is what they say about the community of believers. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." These baptized Christians actually started living like they were dead, and all of their possessions now belonged to others in need. St. Basil, writing in the fourth century, put it this way, "'Is not the person who strips another "'of clothing called a thief? And those who do not clothe the naked when they have the power to do so, should they not be called the same. The bread you are holding back is for the hungry. The clothes you keep put away are for the naked. The shoes that are rotting away with disuse are for those who have none. The silver you keep buried in the earth is for the needy. Living the new resurrected life of Jesus in the Spirit not only radically reorients our hearts and our minds, It also should cause us to reconfigure our relationships with others, and that entails a redistribution of our resources. We do need to be discipled in the way that we think, in the way that we pray, but we also need to be discipled in the way that we work and earn and spend and give. And because the kingdom of God is marked by an abundance of grace, an overflow of love, by mercies renewed every morning, We, therefore, should reflect that abundance and generosity in our community and we should do so in tangible, material ways. So let's talk about what this looks like in practical terms. Should we all join a monastic commune together? Maybe. I would love someday, somewhere, for there to be an intentional communal band of Anglicans that lives together practicing this radical generosity in a holistic way. The theologian Eberhard Arnold, who I quoted earlier, founded a community in the Anabaptist tradition called the Bruderhof. It has locations near here in New York State and all over the world. And of course, the enduring Catholic tradition of monastic life through the centuries is another example of this. But for most of us, that's not the vocation God has given us. We are here in greater Boston, working and living like most of our neighbors in this economy. So what do we do to resist the formation project of capitalism and instead grow in lives that are rich toward God? Two things I want to make sure you don't hear me saying. Number one, I'm not telling you to feel guilty about buying things for yourself. My wife will tell you how much I enjoy buying myself occasional expensive lattes. (laughs) Now it is possible to have an addiction to buying things and the Spirit will guide and direct you if that's your temptation but this message is not about bashing anyone for your personal spending habits. Ironically, I think that's more of the capitalist formation project that puts everyone, everything on the shoulders of the individuals, right? There's, that's why beverage companies in the 50s, instead of responsibly changing the way they produced waste and processed waste, funded a campaign called Keep America Beautiful, which tells us not to litter in the rivers with their waste. So this is not about bashing you about what you do individually with your money. Instead, I hope you hear, the voice of encouragement to spur us together on to good works. And number two, I am not asking you to give more money to Church of the Cross's operating budget. Many, if not most of you here, are faithfully generous in your giving. Uh, And if that's something that you aren't doing, and you pray and seek God's will for you about that, um, please think about that and pray about that. But this is not a plea that we need more money If you do sense a call to give, one way you can give is to our benevolence fund, which we talked about last week. So this benevolence fund is purely for providing for these material needs in our community. So if you want to give that way, there's a drop down on the online uh, giving. You can just write a memo on a check. And if you are in need, please, please, please ask for help. Again, this is something that we, in our culture and in our economy, it's not okay to say, I need help. I'm struggling with money, I need some help with things. We want to break down that barrier of guilt and shame and be a community that cares for each other and is honest about both the needs that we have and the ability that we have to take care of them. And I was in a meeting with the parish council and they'll uh, attest to this, I said, if we have a benevolence fund sitting there still at the end of time at judgment day, God is not looking kindly on Church of the Cross. That money is not meant to sit in our barns. It's meant to be given away. So, if you have needs, ask. If you want to give to the Benevolence Fund, you can give in that way. But this is to help us to look more like that Acts Church that said there was not a needy person among them. For us to make that true a Church of the Cross, we have to work together. We have to sacrificially give of ourselves, and we have to ask for help when we need it. We also have started the COTC resource share list. Ingrid and Emily have posted and shared with us. So you may not have the money to give to the Benevolence Fund or to other people, but maybe you have a resource that you could share. Um, I encourage you to think of what those might be, to list it on there, and if you need to borrow something, to ask for something. This is a great practical way <coughs> excuse me to live more like that community in Acts that held everything in common. This is a way to refuse the rule of money in our lives by sharing our resources freely without financial compensation. We can start with these small steps to reduce the influence of a transactional, commodified existence. We can resist that formation project of this world that tells us how much money they think we are worth and spurs us at every turn to try to be worth more. Sisters and brothers, you are already God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are already worth infinitely more than any yearly salary or stock portfolio could ever measure. You are the beloved children of God. You are heirs of God's kingdom. Jesus is calling you today to a life of Eucharist, of gratitude and thanksgiving. As we come to the table today, remember, Jesus is here in bread and wine, giving himself to you, fully and freely. As Christ empowers us and fills us with his overabundance, then we can turn and open ourselves to this community and to those in need around us and see what God is waiting to do through and in us. Amen. May it be so.